chapter 16 for today's study. Matthew 16. We are at a story here um, that happens in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus is gonna ask probably the most important question uh, that any of us are gonna have to answer. And and the question Jesus raises, he asks about the general public. Uh, What what are people saying about this? And then he asks what the disciples think about it. Uh, And I I also believe the Lord would ask you um, this question, who do you say that I am? Uh, Who do you say Jesus is? This is the biggest question, I think, because this question, if you have the wrong answer, um, it means you don't really know or accept or believe who Jesus really is. And it can be a great uh, peril to you if you don't really know uh, this, the answer to this. And it's interesting because people have been messing around with this question for centuries. So I brought a few video snippets of people's answers, um, people that I think are kind of interesting. For example, uh, does anybody remember Alice Cooper? Um, here's Alice Cooper on, uh, well, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Most written about character of all time yes. in history. Right. And yet people go out of their way to not believe in him. Why do you think that is? I think it's because they don't want to give up their godship. Yeah. You know, uh, they want to be, I, I can, I, I'm a good enough, they believe the Hollywood version of, oh, I do more good than bad, yeah. that kind of thing. And I go, why is that? Satan's got you right where he wants you. Yeah. You know, to believe that. Yeah. I said, because I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Right. I said, those are the truest words ever spoken. Yeah. How can you deny that? Who would have thought, huh? Uh, Turns out he's a theologian. Uh, Well, let's, let's take a look. What do you think Oprah has to say about that? Well, I am a Christian who believes that there are, there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way, but I don't believe that it's the only way. What I believe is that Jesus came to show us Christ's consciousness. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I don't know why that cuts out, but, uh, but that's enough uh, uh, right there. Um, so yes, uh, she believes my way, she says. I don't, I, I'm a free-thinking Christian, she says, um, and that Christianity or Christ is not the only way. Um, that's, that, that's her take on the question, who is Jesus? Uh, this one I didn't do last service, but I'm adding this one to my list. Anyone to hear what Elon Musk has to say? Um, the, this is the Babylon Bee interview, and they asked him, well, you know, what do you think about, would, would you ever accept Jesus to become a Christian? And here was his answer. I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated, um, and th- that the, you know, there's some, some, there's great wisdom in what, in, in the te- teachings of, of Jesus, uh, and I agree with those teachings. Um, and things like turn the other cheek, are, are very important because as opposed to an eye for an eye. Um, an eye for an eye leads everyone blind. So forgiveness, you know, is important and um, treating people as you would wish to be treated. Love thy neighbor as thyself, very important. So it's like a 60, 70% as, yes. <laughs> as Einstein would say, I believe in the God of Spinoza. Um, so, um, but hey, if um, 
you know, if, if, if Jesus is, is uh, saving people, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't stand in his way, you know, like, I'll be sure, I'll be saved, why not? Hmm. Uh, kind of heartbreaking, really. I mean, I feel like the Babylon Bee guys had him right there. Um, but, um, and maybe he's gonna come around. That's my prayer. Uh, same with Oprah. I pray that they will come around to understand. But the God of Spinoza, as Einstein said, is a, not as much of a person or a deity as much as a principle uh, behind the cosmos and the universe. And, and Spinoza basically is an uninterested God, not caring or meddling in human affairs is kind of the idea. Um, and that's, that's sort of what he, what he had to say. I got one more for you. What do you think uh, Bono of the band U2 uh, has to say. I, I think this is interesting. Love this British guy, by the way. So then, what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. Was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. nuts. Yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think, therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Wow. Pretty solid answer. <laughs> I like the clarity because those, those are the, the kind of confessions of faith that are required. Um, you know, if you uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, the God raised him up from the dead. It says, you will be saved, Romans 10, verse nine and 10. And that's why this, this you know, more hemming and hawing and saying, well, I kind of like to believe what Jesus taught and he'll just, you know, love your neighbor and stuff. Like that's kind of missing the point. And, and that's why this question here in Matthew chapter 16 is so crucial for us to kind of pin down. And, and um, uh, this is the question you don't want to just kind of not think about and then someday be standing before the throne of God. You don't want to be there. You don't want to do that. Um, so let's, let's think about it. Let's hear what Jesus had to say about it and learn from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it starts in Matthew 16, verse 13, where it says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So if we'll pause right there, first of all, this location is important and it does sort of... Uh, 
bring more color to the story if you know where we're at here at Caesarea Philippi. And so I want you to know this before we get into the story because there's so much here that's important. Uh, this is Caesarea Philippi. This is when we were there last time shooting some video. Um, but it's there, um, there's three Caesareas in Israel, uh, but this is Caesarea Philippi, uh, the headwaters, one of the three headwaters of the Jordan River. Uh, literally water comes bubbling out of the ground and which eventually becomes part of the Jordan River. Um, but it's, a, it's an old uh, archeological ruin. There's not a, a town there anymore, but there was a big town, Caesarea Philippi, because of the Temple of Pan, or, we, or they, they would say Pan, uh, and this is today, modern day, Banyas is what they call it. But we biblically would call this Caesarea Philippi. And its biggest um, thing you'd notice is this huge rock cliff that, that was sitting on the edge of town. So the, the town started with these two temples, a temple to Pan and a temple to Zeus, and then all these niches carved in the, this cliff. You can see the little carvings where either they put idols or what have you, small little idols, or they would actually have women standing there luring men because Pan was a very sexual god. He was half goat, half man. Some would call him sort of the Greek version of Satan himself. Uh, and, um, and so um, the people during the first century, this is what they would have seen during the time of Jesus, these two temples built outside of this cave. Now this cave uh, where the temple backed up to, you can see there's kind of an altar sort of thing where they would sacrifice uh, animals to the god uh, Pan. But they would also in the temple commit all kinds of sexual immoral uh, sort of things because that was the nature <clears throat> of, of uh, worshiping Pan. <clears throat> but all that to say, this is one of the main parts of the, the town, Caesarea Philippi, you'd see it. Now, um, the thing is about this temple that was backed up to this cave, this is sort of the way it looked in those days. Um, the cave itself, they called that, interestingly enough, the gates of hell. And they believed that the spirits would come from hell through the smoke of the cave that would come out behind this big temple of Pan. Notice the temple of Pan's bigger than the temple of Zeus which is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, and and this, this, as far as a Jewish person would consider this, this would be the, the peak of paganism during the first century. Like this is where you go if you wanna be as close to this, of Satan uh, and the devil, this is where you'd go uh, to worship Pan. So you say, well, what in the world's Jesus doing here in Caesarea Philippi? And by the way, you guys that studied with us on Wednesday night about the various uh, Herods, remember Her Herod Philippi or Philippi? Uh, that, that, this is named after him, uh, one of the, the Herods. Um, but this is where, it was a big population of people. So you've got this rock cliff. Now, before we get into the story, if you were in those days and you were gonna call this something in the original Greek language, what would you call it? So if you go to Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower, right? Um, if you go to Seattle, you see the um, Space Needle. If you went to Caesarea Philippi in the first century, you'd see this huge cliff and the town was sort of tucked up against this 150 foot tall by more than 300 yard wide cliff. And the town was sort of tucked up against that. It was a major feature of the town. And, and they would call that in the Greek. Does anybody wanna take a stab? What's the Greek word for that big rock wall there? Anybody? Petra. That's the word you would use. That's why Petra in the Middle East there in Jordan is called Petra because it's just a bunch of rock cliffs. Uh, the ancient city of Petra. And that's uh, one of the places we go. We actually go here as well when we go to Israel, but we also go to the Petra of the Middle East. But that's what they'd say. Caesarea is the town that's right next to Petra, uh, the rock cliff or the rock wall. That's an important part. 
So remember, there's a couple features that we got the gates of hell uh, behind the temple of Pan and it's up against the Petra or the cliff, uh, which is this huge rock. Um, and, and, and seated into this rock is like some really serious paganism. And here's Jesus and his disciples. And this is gonna play into the conversation that's gonna happen here. So by the way, this was also kind of considered a red light district. Like if you were here uh, at certain times, it was a, a place of, of evil and uh, sexual promiscuity. Now in this, Jesus asks, he says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And before we go any further, we also have to talk about this delineation that Jesus gave of himself. He already tells the people, who do you say that I, the son of man? Well, you're the son of man. I mean, he already answered the question, right? Well, he didn't fully, but he sort of gives, gives them a hint. Who do, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? You say, well, Brett, isn't he the son of God? Well, yes, he is. Then is he the son of man or the son of God? The answer is yes, he's both. And that's a crucial part of biblical doctrine. I, I hope you understand that. And it, it gets into the discussion of who is Jesus. But um, one of the things the early church had to wrestle with when it came to the heretics that were coming and teaching heresies, they would, they would start messing around with, is Jesus 100% God or was he 100% man? And the answer is yes and yes. But Brett, 100% plus 100%, that doesn't work. Uh, it does when you're God. Um, uh, one plus one plus one doesn't equal one. Uh, but one times one times one equals one. So just for, chill out, man, forget math for a second and understand that he's God, he can do whatever he wants. And yes, it is a mystery, but because of that mystery, people were starting to say stuff like, well, he wasn't really a man, he was 100% God. And there was a whole group that was going around in the early church saying, when he ate food, he never really put it up to his lips. He would lift it up, but he would never put it in his mouth because he was not a physical being. Like there was heresies going around like that. And the early church had to identify, is that heresy? And they did, they said, that's heresy. And, and just, if you want the easy answer, um, anything that was outside of 100% man and 100% God, anything outside of that was considered heresy by the early church fathers. And there's names for all those heresies if you wanna dive into those and, and uh, talk about them. But um, the one thing I always like to remember, and I, I don't have a problem, don't try to explain the inexplicable. Um, and God is much bigger than our brains. And so I don't, I don't worry or sweat this out. But the idea is that Jesus is 100% man, but 100% God. Jesus used this terminology of himself 80 times in the New Testament. 80 times he said, I, I the son of man. That, that's a lot of times. And you say, well, why did he do that? Well, I, I think that the, the son of man title is one that I'm greatly comforted by. That is that God did become a man and lived among us. Um, Jesus is humanity. He became a man. Uh, we, we, we see this uh, and, and sense this when Jesus said stuff like, I and my father are one, and he that has seen me hath seen the father. You know, he's, and they knew he was claiming to be God because they picked up rocks and were wanting to stone him to death when he said these things. But then at the same time, we read in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This kind of shows his, his suffering, his humanity. When I was a little kid, I used to think, well, Jesus got on the cross and then he gave himself some 
you know, uh, uh, godly deification, uh, you know, uh, painkiller or whatever. So he didn't have to suffer. Uh, no, he suffered. He was tempted in all points like as you and I are and have been. Jesus is relatable. And that's, that's that part of Jesus that I'm so thankful for that he is the son of man, that he knows our hurts and our sufferings. Our high priest, the book of Hebrews tells us, relates to us because he knows what we feel. He lived among us, felt human pain and suffering uh, more than any of us have ever felt. Um, that's, that's the son of man part of Jesus. But at the same time, he's also, well, we know the son of God, but that's gonna come into play. It's almost like Jesus is teeing up the question for these disciples to say, who do men say that I the son of man am? That's the easy part. Well, he's the son of man, yes. But what else? Who are people saying that I am? And that's where we pick it up in the next verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14. It says, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah. Now, by the way, some of you notice your Bibles say Elias. Well, is it Elias or Elijah? Um, the answer is yes. Um, it's just that Elias is the Greek version of the Old Testament word Elijah. Remember the original Old Testament written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, the Hebrew version of Elias is Elijah. And uh, so don't be freaked out. I, I know people say, Brad, my faith is shaking. The Bible gets the wrong names in the New Testament. No, it's just a different language. Greek is a different language than uh, Hebrew. So, you know, it's like the name Jesus itself. Some people say Yeshua, if you're Hebrew. Uh, some people would say, uh, you know, Jesus, if you're from Mexico. Uh, but we say Jesus here in America. So it's, but it's the same, we, we understand it's the same name. So that's true with Elijah. And others said, as the verse continues, Jeremiah, also we know that's Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So we have here the, the, the people, the multitudes were going around talking and the disciples, well, what word on the street is there are four different hypotheses of who they think you are. And they spell it out and they, they say who they think they are. First of all, John the Baptist. Now this is, this is an interesting thing because um, you and I might say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would they think John is John the Baptist? But let's pause for a second and think about, I gotta give the, the crowds, the multitudes of Jesus's day, some credit where credit is due. Um, John the Baptist, why would they think? Well, you might be saying, well, Brett, John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod Agrippa a few chapters ago. So they should have known, this isn't Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. How did they think that? Well, do you remember? The Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, and we've already covered, was John the Baptist linked to Elijah of the Old Testament in any way, shape or form? The answer is yes. And the Jews knew that Elijah would come again. He never died. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. And the, the Jews knew prophetically there was something about Elijah in the future. That's why people, when John the Baptist was around, they asked Jesus, is John the Baptist Elijah? Remember, they even asked John the Baptist that. And John the Baptist said, I'm not Elijah. And then they asked Jesus. Jesus said, well, kind of, yes, he is Elijah. If, if you have you know, a brain ready to receive it, yeah. Remember that whole thing? We talked about that. That's a whole other teaching. But there is a link. And so you gotta give the, the Jews credit the thinking maybe this is John the Baptist come back from the dead because they expected that out of a guy like John the Baptist. That wouldn't have been that big of a shocker to the Jewish uh, people that read the old, you know, Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. Not only that, I would give them credit for it because John the Baptist, do you think that he looked like Jesus? They were cousins. Have you ever noticed sometimes cousins look more alike than brothers and sisters? I've noticed that from time to time. 
Uh, and I wonder if Jesus looked, I, I wouldn't die on this battlefield, but I, I do think it's an interesting thought. Could John the Baptist and Jesus looked similar? I think the answer is very possibly. But also, um, not only you know the, the Elijah mystery and the way they may have looked, but also their message was the same. If you look in Matthew chapter three, verses one and two, we, say, we read where in those days, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea went around saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. He went around saying that over and over again, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, Jesus from that time began to preach, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was saying the same message that John the Baptist was saying. So I don't fault them for thinking, it's a good guess. Give them some credit for thinking that he might've been John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But that's the first one. The second one, you say, oh, well, this one's ridiculous. How did they think Jesus was Elijah the prophet? Um, uh, well, in, interesting enough, um, uh, Elijah was, we, as we know him, he's the fiery prophet. Miracles, man. It's like you can almost picture Elijah walking around with lightning bolts buzzing out of the fingertips of his hands. Like he's that kind of a guy. Uh, remember he called fire down and, and the prophets of Baal, they tried all day to call fire from heaven from Baal and they failed and he was making fun of them the whole time. And then Elijah's turn comes up and he says a little 10 second prayer. Oh, fire comes down and not only gets the sacrifice, but the altar and the dirt underneath, there's like a crater left there. And Elijah's like, any questions? And, and it's like, that was the Super Bowl of, of prophets. And then Elijah went and killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Like this guy was a fiery dude. He raised people from the dead. You know, um, it was Elisha who came after Elijah in the same spirit of Elijah, who would raise or cleanse lepers and heal lepers. So you, you kind of don't want to get too critical of the people thinking he was Elijah because Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles. Last Wednesday night, we saw Jesus just healing everyone that they brought and put at his feet. He just started healing multitudes of sick and lame, blind and crippled, and Jesus would even raise the dead. That was very Elijah-esque. So you gotta give him credit for that guess too. Their third guess, Jeremiah the prophet. Um, interesting, why would they think Jesus was Jeremiah? Anybody wanna take a stab at that one? He, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Well, Brett, you told us last week that Jesus was the one who was anointed with the oil of gladness and it was full of joy. Yes, he was. Um, children like Jesus. And even when he went to the cross, he endured the cross with joy that was set before him, the Bible says. So Jesus was joyful. I have no question about that. But as it turns out, he also had moments where he would weep over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, if you'd only known in this thy day. You know, the, you know um, Isaiah chapter 53, verse three, um, the prophet speaks prophetically of Jesus, the Messiah who would come. And it says he is despised there and he's rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So Jesus would, would be, there'd be times where Jesus would weep. He, in John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse of the Bible, many of you have it memorized. Jesus wept, it's a whole verse. Um, but what, did, what was he weeping about? As it turns out, Lazarus was in the tomb. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was weeping at the tomb of Lazarus? Because I, I still wonder, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jesus, why were you weeping there? Well, bro, he's dead, he's weeping because he's dead. Yeah, but Jesus is about to raise him from the dead. I'd be kinda like, watch this. I wouldn't be going, oh, so sad. I'd be like, uh, everybody hold your breath here for a second. Um, uh, well, maybe, maybe Jesus was weeping because Lazarus made it to heaven. He was up in heaven just having a great time and one of the angels came up to Lazarus, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we need you to go back. 
Maybe Jesus was weeping because of that. Oh, poor Elijah, or poor Lazarus, he's got to come back. Uh, maybe, maybe Jesus was weeping because everybody else was weeping. The Bible tells us we are to weep with those who weep. Maybe Jesus just moved with compassion as Jeremiah the prophet was moved with compassion over a, a people that didn't know the truth. Um, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, but Jesus was seen uh, often weeping. In fact, Luke 19.41 says, and, uh, when Jesus uh, came near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. That was a very Jeremiah the prophet thing to do. Another thing you might consider is, um, does anybody know of all the prophets of the Old Testament, which one did Jesus quote the most? It was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the most quoted prophet. I love that because some people might argue Jeremiah was the least successful prophet. You know, he, he ministered for 42 years and not one person listened to one word he ever said. You know, Jonah was probably the most successful prophet, but he was kind of a loser. Um, but, he, but, he, but he won a whole city of Ninevites to the Lord and, and they repented and, and he was totally like Mr. Success. Uh, but Jesus didn't really quote Jonah much. He quotes Jeremiah a lot. And I think that maybe they heard his word and said, man, he's always quoting Jeremiah. Uh, maybe they thought he was uh, Jeremiah come back. And then the, the third or the fourth uh, guess that they gave was kind of an interesting uh, guess. That is the Jews were looking for not only a prophet, as it says here in Matthew, but in other uh, passages, it says the, that prophet. Did you know the Jews were looking for a very specific prophecy to come to pass? That there would come a prophet. Um, and in fact, you can jot this in your notes. Deuteronomy 18, 18 speaks of the prophet that the Jews were looking for constantly. It says, you know, um, the Lord speaks to Moses in Deuteronomy 18 and 18. It says, I will raise up uh, a prophet from among their brethren, like unto you, Moses, uh, the Lord says. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all the things that I uh, command him to speak. So the Jews were looking for a prophet coming who would speak the word of the Lord with power. Um, and here's Jesus speaking. Remember what they said about Jesus? They said, man, he speaks as one having authority, not like the scribes or the Pharisees, but he's different. Could he be that prophet? Deuteronomy 18, 18, they wondered. So before we're too dismissive of the people and their opinions of who Jesus really was, you kind of got to give them credit first because they're on the right path, but they're all wrong. You say, well, Brett, why do we even spend time with that then? Well, I'll show you at the end, uh, there's a part of that we need to kind of consider. <clears throat> but then, uh, then Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them, look at verse 15. It says, and he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? Now it's, now it's like, oh boy, game on. The disciples have to answer the question. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing. Can you imagine what the, all the disciples are thinking? I, I, I can only guess, but man, I'm not saying anything. Or maybe they're saying, oh, Peter, whatever you do, don't say anything, <laughs> Peter. Because Peter was the one always piping up, saying stuff and, and messing up. Uh, but I'm sure that I could not be. Is there, have you ever been in like a business meeting and there's always that one person, they say, I've got something to say. Like, oh boy, here we go. That's the way Peter was most of the time. Um, so uh, so Jesus says, well, who do you disciples say that I am? And it goes on verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Where in the world did Peter get that kind of wisdom and understanding? First of all, let's figure out what he said. 
Well, he just said he's Jesus Christ. Isn't that his first and last name? Jesus Christ, Mr. Jesus Christ? Uh, there was Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. No, that's not the word. The word Christ is a messianic title that's huge. It's, it's Jesus the Christ, you might say. Um, what's the word Christ? Well, it's the Greek word that is used for Messiah of the Old Testament. The Greek word is Christos, and it means anointed or the Messiah. Um, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament would be Mashiach. Um, it's the Hebrew word, and it means the anointed, the Messiah. So Mashiach, translated into Greek, is, Greek is Christos, and that's why he's called Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ. Um, it, it's, just, it's describing him as the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah who would come, who would be so much. The Bible tells us he'd be king of kings, lord of lords. There's so much about the Messiah that by Peter saying this, he's saying a lot. He's saying this is the one who we knew was coming in the Hebrew Bible that was telling of, uh, of uh, the king of kings and the Messiah, the anointed one. This is him. So this is a huge declaration. But he not only lands there on the, the miraculous understanding of the Christ, he also says the son of the living God. Again, this is bold because Jesus just said, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And he says, you're the Christos, the son of the living God. Um, which is a hard thing for someone to understand. In fact, I was reading one of these so-called scholars. There's so many pipe-puffing, cardigan sweater-wearing professing themselves to be wise sort of theologians out there. Watch out for all these guys. One of these guys I was reading, he was saying um, that Peter, there's no way he could have known this um, and he would have not known to call him the Christos, nor would he call him the son of God. So this is just a you know folklore story about how Peter came up with this idea of Jesus the Messiah. And he was trying to downplay that because there's no way a Galilean fisherman could have known this. And he went on and waxed elephant, eloquent uh, and... Um, and it just, uh, just was stupid, uh, as they all are, a bunch of nincompoops. But he should, the, the, these so-called scholars should keep reading because Jesus will say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Jesus said, Peter, you know where you got that? You got that from my Father, which is in heaven. Uh, just read your Bible. That, that's what I, I would say to those guys with their pipes and their cardigans. Be that as it may, um, Peter says, this powerful declaration. You are the Christos, the son of the living God. And this is quite the messianic title and it's gonna stick. Um, now this, by the way, Peter is gonna, um, he's gonna uh, uh, realize that what he said is important because Jesus is gonna kind of go off and say, wow, let's read. Uh, it says here in verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is where people have made some big mistakes in history. Because uh, can you see the Catholic Church, this is where they got the idea of Peter being the first pope. Uh, was Peter the first pontiff, Maximus, or whatever they call him? Uh, was he really the first one? Well, um, let me show you something that's very important to, to see this. Because if you don't see this, you'll miss the whole point. And I'm just gonna say this, and, and you, you don't take my word for it, because people say, who are you, Brett, to say that? I'm no one. But what does the Bible say? And why did the Catholic Church make Peter into this big thing? If you go to the 
St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which I've been to. How many of you guys have been to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome? Um, interesting, if you go there, you won't find anything about Jesus. There's nothing about Jesus there. Uh, I, I was shocked uh, because it's all about Peter there at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Um, statues of Peter and uh, one, there's one statue that, um, that so many people come and kiss his toe that they kissed his toe clean off his foot. Like the stone toe that was once there, gone. It's like smooth, the poor guy got amputated. Now, they did repair the toe. I guess they got, I don't know what they did, um, maybe got some um, JB Weld or whatever, I don't know, and stuck a new toe on his toe and they kissed that one off too. I didn't kiss it, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe and with billions of people kissing the toe of this statue, just like I don't know only 10 feet away from that. But do you think Peter would be into that? Do you think Peter would be like, yeah, I like that people come and kiss my toe. That's a good plan. Uh, I, I, we, where did all that come from? It came from right here. And we need to kind of d divide this carefully and, and, um, and, uh, and, and look at this closely. And why did the Protestant church say, we don't follow the Pope? What happened there? And who's right about that? Um, maybe you were raised in the Catholic tradition and you're like, Brett, who are you to say this? Well, um, it's again, not just me, but a lot of uh, people kind of take another look at this and kind of realize maybe that's why some of the most evil people lived on the planet were popes. If you look at your papal history, it's embarrassing. And I'm not defending the Protestants or the Catholics. I'm just gonna say we're all messed up. But the answer is to look to the scripture. That's, that's the key. What does the Bible say? And this is where we need to kind of say this. So Peter gets a new name here. Um, and this shouldn't shock us. Uh, in the Bible, God's people often got new names. Uh, that happened, that's not a big thing. Remember, Abram was then turned to Abraham. Sarai was turned into Sarah. <clears throat> you know, all throughout the Bible, people get new names. You know, Jacob, the which means deceitful one, was turned to Israel, which means governed by God. You know, even in the New Testament, Saul, who was the persecutor of the church, got turned into Paul, the apostle. So name changes are part of the deal. Peter gets his name changed right here. His name before this was Simon Barjona. You say, well, what is that all about, Simon Barjona? Well, it's really kind of interesting because they didn't really do the first and last name like we do it, but they do do it like that. They, they would say, that's Simon, son of Jonah. Um, so that's kind of an important thing. The bar in that language would be son of, and then Jonah. So Peter's dad's name was Jonah. That's how they'd identify you. They'd say, oh, that's Simon Bar-Jonah. And they go, oh, the fisherman from Galilee. Okay, got it. But Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my Father which is in heaven. And he says, and I say also to thee that thou art Peter. Now let's look at that word Peter. This is important to make this uh, understanding. As it turns out, the word for Peter is Petros. And if you look it up in a Greek uh, interlinear, you'll see that Jesus said, thou shalt be called Petros which means little rock or stone, pebble, or a piece of rock. It's just a small little rock. Um, a little rock, Arkansas. Uh, Bill Clinton and the gang down there, right? Uh, no, not that. Just a little tiny pebble. That's, that's what Peter is called. You are, you are like your rock. Now, so then here's what the Catholics did. They said, well, you're, here, this, thou art the rock, Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. They said, okay, that means upon Peter, we're gonna build the church. Peter's the rock that the church is gonna be built on. But here's the problem with that. Um, you see, the rock that Jesus called Peter was Petros, and then he said, but upon this rock, and the, the word there is Petra. Oh, come on, Brett, tomato, tomato, what's the difference? Oh, there's a huge difference. 
You see, Petra is the rock cliff, this huge, massive rock, a rock cliff or ledge, a large projecting rock. Remember when I told you there at Caesarea Philippi, the, the town that was known for the Petra? Here's Jesus saying, Peter, your name is Petros, little rock. But upon this rock, Petra, I'm gonna build my church. Okay, so what's the Petra if it's not the same thing as Petros? Well, this is really easy if you just look at the context and what's being said. The Petra is always what the rock has been all throughout the Bible. If you take away this story, so far, if there's one individual you can attribute to being described as a rock or pictured as a rock, who is that in the scriptures? It's Jesus all throughout the Bible. Like you have to change everything to change the rock into Peter right here. No, Peter's the Petras, Jesus is the Petra. Jesus is the rock. And, and that's where this verse, you know, you, you kind of almost have to read it like in the original language to really get it. But this is what it says, you know, I say unto thee that thou art Petros, Peter, and upon this Petra will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Jesus is the ultimate rock in the Bible that the church is built on. It's not Peter. That's the big mistake. The, the difference really between the Protestants and the Catholics is we're saying, no, we believe that the, the foundation of the church is not Peter, it's actually Jesus. He's the rock, Petra. And by the way, Peter said the same thing. <clears throat> Jot this down in your notes, but it's 1 Peter 2, 4, where Peter uh, explained this, uh, referring to Christ, he writes, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Does that language sound familiar? Peter's actually explaining that Jesus is the stone that was disallowed, but chosen of God. And he's using the language referring from the book of Isaiah. Peter's sort of quoting Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 28, 16, where he says, therefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that he that believeth shall not make haste. Um, this is the stone of Jesus. In fact, Paul the apostle would jump on this one as well. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, in case there was any confusion, he says, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Peter, the Pope? No, Jesus, the Christ. That's a, a huge thing. And, and that's where one of, the, one of the things that I think that um, we do in church is when we get off course, that Jesus is the main thing every single time. As soon as we miss that, we're gonna be off course. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not just accusing the Catholics of that. The Protestant church did well enough of getting off course as well in so many ways. And, and I'm just saying, let's just get back to the Bible. Um, so Jesus is the Christ, but he's also, it's almost like you said, you're, you're gonna be Petros, little rock, Peter, for saying that. But the, upon this Petra, what, what Petra? The declaration Peter just made was that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the rock right there, Jesus. Upon this rock will I build my church. Well, Brett, God gave Peter the keys. So that makes Peter in charge. What does it say? Well, in verse 19, I will give unto the keys, uh, unto thee, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, you, you say, well, that's given it to Peter. I don't believe he's given that to Peter. Well, who's he given it to? 
Well, this, this is where the next word that you really need to be careful in, and it's the first mention. For you that are into hermeneutics, which is learning how to rightly divide the scriptures and study the Bible, um, one of the principles of hermeneutics is for the first mention principle. Whenever you see something first mentioned in the Bible, it's one that you should really study up on because the first mention always uh, really points us in the right direction. And when we talk about first mention of this, um, as it turns out, uh, the word here is uh, the word ecclesia. We'll show you that in a second. Um, by the way, before we get into the church part of this, let me ask you a question. How did they, how, how did, you know, I wonder if the other disciples were thinking, I wonder if Peter's wrong. But Jesus said, you were right, Peter. You got the right answer. Blessed are you. But what I have to say is, you know, if the disciples would go back and say, well, let's consider what Peter's saying. Did you know if they would have looked at their Hebrew Bible, they would have known he was right? I love how the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, would confirm. In fact, uh, like take this for example, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, for unto us a child is born. This is a Christmas verse we often pull out, Isaiah nine, six. Um, unto us a son is given. Question, who is that son that's given? Right, that's exactly right. Um, now, the reason I say that is because where this goes, it gets crazy. If you think about it, this gets crazy. For unto us a, a, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh-oh, the Mighty God. How can a baby born in Bethlehem become Mighty God? There's only one God, exactly. The Everlasting Father? Now we got real craziness. The child that is born is gonna be the everlasting father, according to uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and the prince of peace. You see, Jesus was the babe born in Bethlehem. And when Peter says, you are the king of kings, the Messiah, the, the, the one that's coming, then this verse confirms that Jesus is just that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Only Jesus would be the single person that would fulfill that prophecy. No one else in all the world throughout all of history. Um, there's other passages that would only confirm what Peter said there. Jeremiah 23, five through six. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. So not only does Jesus have to be born in Bethlehem, but he's gotta be a descendant of David, which was established in Matthew chapter one. The genealogy of Jesus was uh, that he was a descendant of David. And the king shall reign and prosper, shall actually judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, um, shall uh, Judah be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness, um, which is an uh, interesting word, Jehovah Sidkenu, which is a whole nother discussion. But Jesus is the heir of the throne through David. Uh, and then of course, like I said, Bethlehem, Micah chapter five, verse two, um, it says, but thou Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathah, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, little, little town among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So someone's gonna be born in Bethlehem who is from everlasting to everlasting. Who's that? The first, the last, the alpha, the omega, Jesus, who was and is and is to come. This is where Peter is only gonna be confirmed by the Hebrew Bible. That's always what we should do, by the way. If you have a belief system, uh, you better make sure and measure it up against scripture. And that's, I love how the Bible would confirm Peter's declaration. Now, some of you might say, well, wow, Jesus is amazing, uh, or Peter's amazing, because he came up with this. Well, it was the Lord who gave it to him. 
And in a couple of verses, Jesus is gonna say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. In fact, let's, let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 16, uh, uh, verse uh, 22. Then Peter took Jesus and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be it. See, Jesus just said, I'm gonna go to the cross and die in Jerusalem. And Peter's like, uh, no, I'm not gonna let that happen. And I just said the right thing a few minutes ago. So I'm the boss now. <clears throat> and that's when Jesus turns to Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. For thou savest not. Now, was Jesus calling Peter Satan? No. Um, but what Peter was trying to tempt Jesus to do is to not go to the cross. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to do, to not go to the cross, because, you know, that would ruin everything for Satan, the cross. So it's an interesting thing. I feel for Peter because he just finally says something intelligent and right. And then 10 seconds later, he's back to good old Peter with his foot in his mouth. Um, I get that. I, I can relate to Peter on that. But um, this is where we get back to this. Um, so, so then what happens? He says, upon this rock, Petra, Jesus, who's the Christ, upon this rock, the cornerstone, the chief's cornerstone, the precious cornerstone that was rejected, the stone of offense, the rock of stumbling. I mean, I could just go on and on about Jesus being the rock. Um, 1 Corinthians 10 says, the rock that followed the children of Israel through the wilderness was Christ. Like it goes on and on about Jesus being the rock. So be careful in putting Peter as the rock. That's a huge mistake. Peter's the pebble, the Petros, but Jesus is the one and only, the rock of the foundation of the church. So all that to say, um, we, we need to get back to this, um, this thing because the, 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 the Catholic church then says, well, because Peter's the rock, he gets to have the keys to, uh, as it says here in verse 19, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then whatever Peter binds on earth and whatever you, know, you loose on earth, it'll be loosed and bound. Um, that's, that's a sad and sorry interpretation. Because if you look closely, Jesus then says, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. That's the word church. That's the church. That's, and the word ecclesia, is, if you look in a Greek dictionary, it's the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. You have to understand, um, church membership, I think, is oftentimes helpful and useful for a lot of churches. There's reasons I could see having a membership being helpful. But the reason we don't have an official membership here at Athey Creek is because I think it undoes something that the Lord may not have wanted undid. What do you mean, Brett? Well, there's a thing called the church, and the word is ecclesia, and it's anyone who believes in Jesus Christ anywhere on the globe and for Athey Greek to say, well, we want you to join our church. Do you see the problem with that? Suddenly I feel like we're making unnecessary divisions that don't need to be there. That's why we're a non-denominational Christian church. We just believe that Jesus is our savior and Messiah and anyone who accepts Christ and follows Jesus, repents of their sins, they're part of the team. We're all on the same team. We're Christians of the Christian faith. Um, and that's, that's the ecclesia. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, and I will give unto thee, the church, uh, the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's the church of Jesus Christ that has the authority, not the Pope. That's an important thing. And, and if you're a Catholic and you're watching this particular Pope, you, you have to kind of agree with me. Uh, a lot of my Catholic friends are like, Brett, we just need this Pope to step down. It depends on which Catholic you are. If you're a Vatican II or different types of, there's different types of Catholics, but there's a lot of Catholics that are real perturbed right now. Um, but, and this Pope isn't like, you know, uh, as bad as a lot of Popes throughout history. But see, we don't put our, our thing on any man. We, the rock of the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. 
and it should be nothing else. That's an important thing. Now, where do the Protestants go wrong? Uh, let, let, since I was kind of harping on the Pope and all that stuff. Well, I think we make the same mistake, and this is where I start to wrap it up. I think we make the same mistake of making the foundation of the church, not Jesus, but remember the, the guesses that they made? Remember when we went through all the names there of you know John the Baptist, which preached repentance, Elijah that was the powerful one, Jeremiah who had compassion, and the prophet, the, the knowledgeable one who speaks the word of God. Um, I've noticed that we churches tend to camp out and major on any one of these. It's like we really get into one of these, but not all of these, but, but all of these are good. But if that's all you do, you're not getting the rock, the sure foundation. We need to build the church based on Jesus, the fullness of what God has for his church. What do you mean, Brett? Well, like um, some churches are more John the Baptist churches, preaching repentance. That's great. Is it preaching the, the gospel? Is that a good thing? Well, of course it is. But what if you don't have compassion for the lost? Or what if you don't have a, a good understanding of the knowledge of the word of God? Or, or what if you're, you know, don't believe in the power of the spirit and so you're kind of God's chosen frozen preaching the gospel? That happens all the time. There's churches that have no real power, but they're trying to preach the gospel and they, they're, they're more John the Baptisting it when they should be Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. That, that should be the foundation. Other churches, it may not be the, the power of the, the preaching of the gospel, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, we're Elijah church, praise God. And they're gonna, they're gonna be rolling in the aisle and swinging from the chandeliers and you know, speaking in tongues and Ooh, we're the power church, woo! And, and they gotta say it like the power! We gotta get into it like that. You say, and they're running around on the stage and woo, woo! That, there's some churches that are more into Elijah than they are Jesus. Is the power of God a good thing? Of course it is. Um, and, and does the church need the power of God through the Holy Spirit working in his church? Absolutely. It's one of the worst things that happens is when churches are neglecting and, and ignoring the power of God. But that's not the whole thing. Remember when we studied the Spirit a few weeks ago, we were talking about how the Spirit will speak of Christ and point to Jesus Christ because he's the main thing. Now, there are some churches that are Jeremiahing it. They're the ones that are very much compassionate about our community and reaching out to the poor and the lost and, and feeding the homeless and it's, it's compassion. Is compassion good? Of course. Should the church be compassionate? Absolutely. But is that the whole thing? No, I mean, that, that's only part of, these, these were good guesses of who Jesus was, but it wasn't the whole thing. Jesus is so much bigger and greater and more full encompassing and the ultimate rock and then what about the, the knowledge church? Well, this is where Athey Creek has to be careful because we love going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Studying the Bible we think is critical and I think we live in a day where that's more critical than ever. But at the same time, if we don't have compassion and if we don't have the power of God, we're just really good at Bible study, but we're not seeing the power of God flowing through us or having compassion on the poor. And if we're not preaching repentance, you see, it's not just about knowledge and studying the word. We need the whole rock, the rock of ages that we can build the church and see the Lord move. And that's where this cliff there in Caesarea Philippi is kind of an amazing part. When Jesus said upon this rock, Petra, they had an object lesson right there. Jesus would say, consider the lilies of the field. He'd talk about the things around him. Now he says, upon this rock, Petra, that's what I'm gonna build my whole church. And then he says, the gates of hell, which is right there. 
Um, that's where the pagans believed the gates of hell was. And Jesus said, guess what? The gates of hell will have no power against my church. And boy, has that been true. They've tried to rub out the Christian church for millennia now. They've tried to squish them down and persecute them and rub them out. And, and these disciples, they'd be tortured and brutally handled by the, the Romans, but the church would only flourish. In fact, it was during times of persecution, the church even flourished that much more. And Jesus's word here, the gates of hell will not prevail. The very thing, you know, that Pan, the half man, half goat, sort of devil character of Greek mythology, um, that very thing, Jesus said, yep, that's gonna have no power against the rock of Jesus Christ. I love the, the story here because the, the setting perfectly reinforces what Jesus was saying, but, uh, but at the same time, this is the ultimate question that you have to come down to. And it really gets to, you know, who do you say that I am? You see, when Elon Musk says, well, you know, he taught some really good things. You know, Bono said it's right. You know, he said, Jesus went around saying he was the Messiah, God in the flesh. Jesus made that claim. And, and, um, and Bono's uh, conclusion was right. You either have to call him a weirdo, lunatic, crazy man, or you have to believe that he was right. You can't be anywhere in between. There's no room for that because he either was lying and telling a horrible fib that the world would follow and believe or he really is God in the flesh. And I, that's the thing I loved about what Bono was saying is he said, I believe that he was. I believe that he rose from the grave. And just that confession makes me kind of know where he's at. Uh, Oprah can't really say that I heard a, a real clear uh, declaration of Jesus that way, but there's many ways to heaven, which makes Jesus horrible, by the way. If there are many paths to heaven and Jesus is just one of them, why would God slay his son on a cross if there were other opportunities or possibilities? That's like the worst thing I ever heard. Jesus, though, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Alice Cooper said. Uh, Alice Cooper, of all people, said, well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he said, there's never been a truer statement than that. And if, if, if see, that's, that's what you have to get to in your life. Say, who do you say Jesus is? And my prayer is that you'll say, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of the Bible, which means that is God in the flesh. He is the son of God, God incarnate, Emmanuel with us. And that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose up from the grave. And if you confess that with your mouth, Romans 10, verse nine and 10, and believe that in your heart, the Bible is clear. It says, you will be saved. For confession with your mouth leads to salvation. Um, that's why this is such an important thing. And I think that's why Jesus gave the disciples an opportunity to make such a profound declaration. And I wonder if the Lord would ask you that question today. What would you say? Um, I'd like to leave you that question, but I also would like to give you an opportunity to answer it. Um, would you bow your heads please with me as we close this service? Lord, how thankful I am for so great a message, a gospel message of Jesus the Messiah. At Christmas time, we really do get excited about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, God visiting humanity. Um, some of the world thinks it's more about Santa or elves, but we know, Lord, we as Christians, we love to remember that you came, lived among us, died on the cross and rose from the grave. I pray that everyone in here and everybody watching online would be quick to accept and believe and confess that truth. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd take away all the doubts and the things that 
we tend to be critical of, Lord, but I pray that we'd work through this. Um, you tell us in your word to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So this question, Lord, I pray that we'd all be careful to answer it, to be uh, in line with what your word says. If you would, as Christians, be in prayer right now. I wonder if there might be a few of you here today who's never really confessed Christ. You've never had the opportunity to accept Jesus as your savior and confess your faith. Um, who do you say Jesus is? I'd like to pray a prayer of confession of faith. Um, if you're willing, if you wanna do that, if you're one who's not sure if you've ever accepted Jesus, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Attending mass doesn't make you a Christian. Going to the right building or thing has nothing to do with it. It has to do with who do you say that Jesus is? And it's an issue of faith. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed he was? And if you do, and you know you're a sinner and you repent of your sins and you confess your faith in Christ, that's the good news. The Bible says you will be saved. So if that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you and make you get up in front of everybody, but right where you sit with everybody's heads bowed, would you just acknowledge that between you, me, and the Lord right now? If that's you, just lift up your hand right now and say, Brett, I'm gonna pray that prayer of confession of faith. Awesome, cool. See you guys there and you there, cool. Don't let me miss you guys that are acknowledging that over here. Cool, I see you, good. Let me just look around for a few more minutes. Way in the back there, I see you, that's good. And over here, and here, and there, good. Good. I'm gonna pray this prayer of confession. I'm gonna ask the whole church to say this with, with you that are raising your hand. And know this, that this is that, this is that declaration of faith um, with the confession of the mouth. That's, that's the, the Bible says you'll be saved as you confess this truth. Let's do this together. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that he is the Christ. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Lord, what a glorious thing you've done. You've made it simple for us. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to be good enough but it's the fact that you were good enough, that you did the work on the cross for us and how thankful we are. I pray, Lord, that as we often pray, that because of your goodness and being saved by your grace, Lord, that you'd lead us to even greater repentance of sin and, and that we'd follow you. And, and when we fail and make mistakes, Lord, that we'd come back and just confess our sins to you. And you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But your salvation, Lord, is so sweet because we're saved by your grace through faith. Thank you for that, Lord. We go away rejoicing, Lord, because you are the Christ. We thank you that we can put our feet on a solid rock. When the winds come and the rains fall, um, Lord, our house is immovable and unshakable. But the foolish man that builds his house on the sand, the Bible says the winds come and the rains come down and that house is washed away. Lord, how thankful we, we are to be able to put our feet upon the solid rock, Jesus the Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.